Welcome to Teaching Python with Kelly and Sean. This is episode two, the first week. All right, so my name's Sean Tiber. I am a coder who's now teaching. And my name's Kelly Schuster Paredes, and I am a teacher who codes. So, Sean, tell us a little bit how you got into technology. So, actually, I, it's funny to say, but I can't remember a time without technology. It's really been a part of my life and something I've just been fascinated with my entire life. So I was the kid who was banging away on the Apple IIe in the corner of the classroom, trying to get it to make silly programs or do guessing games or choose your own adventures. And then I turned that into an education. So I went to school for a bachelor's and master's degree in information systems. I learned how to actually code for real in college and then turned that into a career in IT and digital marketing. So now I'm teaching others how to code. That's so interesting. It's it's amazing what five years difference. We were talking about this the other day. Just five years difference in in the age back then with, of computers. I had the Commodore sixty four, and I think we got that in my house, and I was playing on that. But I was never really into tech as much. I was more into the science. I was a a pre med major in university and then got into teaching, teaching science. And I just love teaching science because it was always about experimenting and trying new things. And I became the teacher who was always trying new technologies as they were emerging. I remember having the first Promethean smartboard in my classroom, and it was amazing. I had, I had the writing capability. The kids could, could get the information sent to them and their, their computers, and they gave me no training. And then they said a week later that I was going to train all the other teachers. And that's pretty much how I started into using technology in the classroom. And then from there, I um, actually got into HTML and coding HTML, which was fun, and, and Dreamweaver, which was a long time ago, it which seems. sometimes fun. <laughs> I loved it. Um, but that's another story. <laughs> So today, our question is like, how do you start the first week, right? How do you start that new course that you're teaching? How do you start teaching someone Python in the first week? And and why do you choose Python? Right. That's a good question. So let's start there. So why Python, right? There's so many other languages we could choose. We could choose JavaScript, PHP, Java, C. What? Why Python? That that is, I, I ask that question a lot because I was one of those that, thought JavaScript was really cool and I couldn't, I kept trying to figure out why Python. But when I started getting into coding with Python, it was so easy. It made sense. It's something that you can, you can read what's going on, even if you don't know enough code. Yeah, I think that that's really one of the reasons why we're using Python in our courses is because it's so readable, right? Mm -hmm. In many cases, it's like reading English and you don't get as many of those special characters and weird syntax things that make sense once you're into the language. Mm -hmm. Python really excels at being very accessible, right? And we love that with our students and, and we've seen them really respond to it well. But what's great about it is that you can just keep going. Right. Yeah. It really has some of the best continuum, I would say, in terms of programming languages, where you can start with really simple, readable code and keep that same simple, readable code while you're doing really advanced things and have it happen pretty fast. Yeah. And I think what's really interesting is the more the more research I do in Python and the more I read about Python, just the things that they do with Python. I read somewhere that in five years, they predict this to be the top coding language 
the ideas of the MicroPython and the European Space Station sending little packets of MicroPython up to their astronauts just to tell the kids that, you know, this happens and this is cool and AI happens because of Python for the most part. I just think it, it's really exciting and, and they go, wow, my little microbit <laughs> that blinks can be, yeah. <laughs> can be a packet for an astronaut one day. It's pretty cool. Yeah. The other thing that's been really great for our students is that as they have ideas, mm -hmm. there's usually a library of code that goes along with oh, that yeah. idea, right? Mm -hmm. So there's some sort of code base that you can tap into and use where it can be very reliable and sophisticated mm -hmm. uh, in terms of its implementation, but it abstracts a lot of that complexity away from our beginner students. So we've really appreciated just the, the variety of libraries available to us when we're uh, working with Python. And it seems like every time we turn around, there's another library to import. And, and I think, I think, I think that I found is three this week, it's, actually. It's, <laughs> and, and the funny thing is, is I, we, we keep finding those, those, those libraries every day. So, so it's great. So, you know, that one of the most important things that I learned as a new teacher is the importance of setting expectations. Mm -hmm. Like that first week, how do you set expectations with your students? So Kelly, what are a few of the things that you do in the first week to set expectations for your students about how the course is going to progress? Well, I've always been one of those teachers that doesn't like to give out the syllabus and talk about the overview. So, but I know it's a really good thing to do to kind of give them the scenarios. So the first things that I do as expectations is show them a syllabus. And I say, look at all these words. For us right now, it's all about a bunch of mumbo jumbo, physical computing, statements, loops, algorithms, conditional logic. And right for them, it's a little bit of overwhelming thing. And I want them to see that these words, I said, don't worry, all these words in nine weeks will, you know, come clear to you. So just trust the process, trust what we're going through. And believe me, in six weeks, when we start seeing all the light bulbs come on with kids, you're going to get excited and you're going to be not wanting to leave in nine weeks. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think I think I've seen something similar with my classes where we're really trying to make it okay mm -hmm. that it doesn't make sense, yes. right? That it can be confusing and that's okay. Mm -hmm. So giving them that assurance that, it's okay right now if this doesn't make sense, mm -hmm. but it will make sense over time. And once it clicks, that's when it'll get really exciting. Yeah, it's that social-emotional learning. You know, here at, um, at our school, we say it's C, yeah. the, the C skills. How do we manage that child? Because the kids are going to get upset. They're going to get frustrated. They're, they're, they're not going to know how to do their homework. Their parents are going to see a missing grade and as long as you keep telling them that the struggle is real, the struggle mm -hmm. is good, mm -hmm. um, enjoy the process, you know, it, it just set that expectation and say it every single day right. <laughs> they come in. Right. One of the things that also worked really well for me, we teach our courses on a wheel. So mm -hmm. every nine weeks, we're roughly, we're starting a new course with a new group of students. And we teach the same course every nine weeks with some modifications based on what's working and what's not. But what was really great the second time through in the second quarter was being able to ask my students, what have you heard? What have you heard from your friends that have taken this class already? And I got everything from it's really hard <laughs> to it's really fun. The projects are cool. There's a lot of homework. So knowing their expectations going in was really helpful too. What do they expect 
from this course and what do they expect from me? I agree. I like any good teacher, just getting to know who you're dealing with. Each child is same, but different. You know, you can get a general understanding of how sixth graders act, of how seventh graders act, of how eighth graders are, but each child is its own person. So, um, getting to know them right away and, and getting to know how they handle stress and unknown and what questions they ask. It's, it's a really good thing when you're setting your expectations yeah. for the class. You know, and the other thing that, that's really interesting, too, is that we don't have a lot of wallflowers in our school. <laughs> we still have them. We have a few. But there are plenty of kids who will tell you exactly who you're dealing with, yeah. right? They're very <laughs> clear about that. But for me, I've found that I usually can start with them. I kind of get a pretty good handle on what they're like. And then I'm able to start understanding the other students. And really what I'm seeking is an understanding of how to tailor my approach mm-hmm. for the different types of students that I have in my class. Yeah, they call that differentiation. Right. <laughs> so I'm learning. <laughs> and we do that a lot. And I think that could be a whole episode and a half for right. us, differentiating uh, computer science. But let's just talk about establishing routine. I think as, as most teachers know... Once you establish a routine, it's going to set the stage. And in our case, we only have nine weeks to teach the course, so we have to get a routine started right away. How did you establish a routine in your class? So what's funny is my routine is quite a bit more structured in the beginning of the the quarter than it is by the end, Mm -hmm. and that's by design. So what I'm trying to teach them in Python are the basics of how to actually write code. Mm -hmm. You know, the importance of white space, the special characters, the attention to detail, those things that will like help you understand what's working with your code and what's not. So I start off my course and my and my classroom with a bit more structure. I start with something on our screen every day that says, come in, sit down, get a micro bit. Here's this QR code to scan with your computer or your phone that takes them to a survey. So they have a regular predictable routine. Mm -hmm. But then as we start to get more creative on the second half of the quarter, where we're starting to work on more individual projects and activities, that's where I start to relax those initial stages. And by that point, I don't need them anymore. Yeah. I, use a thing called the five minute challenge or the daily five minutes or the first five minutes of class. And I've been pretty, pretty routine about using that this quarter. And it really works. The kids like the the first five minute or daily challenges. And sometimes we do a, a quick little hat challenge. So the winner of the five minute challenge gets to wear a Mar- Mario or Luigi hat. But I think for that routine where I'm not going to answer any questions, this is your own time to learn, your own time to read the directions. No talking about grades, no talking about confusion or, or something. Or, that, other <laughs> or other classes. You have five minutes to get this challenge done and get yourself sorted. And the class will start after that. And I yeah. think that really helps me a lot. Yeah, the other thing that really is important for us is homework and activities. So getting them into the routine of, of their homework and of their, their outside learning and how an activity is conducted in our class. So how do you get them, like, how do you set those expectations for homework? Well, it's kind of funny. And so here's another teacher buzzword. It's kind of like the flip classroom. So a lot of the learning happens with the homework and tinker. A lot of the, the basic vocabulary of what is a for loop, what are hashtags and comments for, a lot of that happens with the homework. and we set the stage with 13 lessons of Python 101 need to be done in nine weeks. How are you going to manage it? I'm going to help you, 
I'm going to give you some soft due dates and it's up to you to meet those soft due dates so you're not pressed for time. Yeah. And so what do you mean by a flipped classroom? Oh, so so a lot of the learning happens through vid- not through videos, but through the gameplay of Tinker and the questions then become the meat of the lesson. You know, if they have a problem with an expression or a variable, we talk about what variables are, how they work, but they come to the class with the questions. And that's from working on Tinker at home. But how how do you get them to start thinking that way also, right? Like, is there a way of thinking that you're trying to engender with this, with this course or with the homework? Like, how do you describe that? I always, I keep, I always say it's struggle. And I, I use this one analogy about soccer. I had a student that is a avid soccer player. And I said, okay, if I go out and we practice soccer and I have you practice soccer with my four-year-old, mm-hmm. my four-year-old's going to get really good at soccer. But, you know, you're not going to get that good because you're not being challenged. You don't have anyone pushing you. However, if I put you up against a, a professional player from Chelsea, your growth in your skills is going to be exponential. And I say that's the same thing with Tinker and homework. Your homework is meant to be challenged. You know, you're supposed to struggle. Don't spend all night struggling on it, but take the time to, to get a little stressed, get a little competitive, try to find a way to solve the problem. And then by that struggle, you learn more. Right. So it seems right. to work. So one of the things that, that we start in our sixth and eighth grade courses is really how to think about problems mm-hmm. and how to break them down before we before or as we're writing the code because sometimes our ability to write code isn't quite there yet but our ability to think through and break down the problems is how do you start introducing computational thinking and programming side by side in your classes well i focus a lot on pattern recognition in the beginning And I just want them to, I usually, in the first four days, I show them a bunch of basic Python line codes. You know, this is display.scroll. This is an image. um, This is um, an import function. And and I try to get them to see that it happens a lot Mm -hmm. in every program that I give them. And by seeing that pattern, they know that that line one needs to be from, you know, microbit, microbit import everything. And so I focus on the computational thinking of pattern recognition. Gotcha. But with you, you know what I noticed? Did you, the, the flowcharts, I saw that you, you implemented that. And you want to tell us about? I do, it's actually like two days on how to make a flowchart. And the idea was being able to break down processes or break down flows and document them because it may be difficult for someone to think through how to write the right Python code to implement their idea, but they can all write diamonds and boxes Mm -hmm. and squares to be able to flow out their idea and and show how it's supposed to work. And what I found is if I start with that and I start with the flow charts and being able to, to diagram the program flow, by the time we get to the actual control structures Mm -hmm. that you need to understand in Python, they already get how it, how it works. Like they see how to map those Python keywords and, and structures against their program flow that they documented on paper. Yeah, that's really good. And then 
I use also the decomposition method in a lot of my challenges. I will, I started with a, 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 you know, five, seven line code. And I said, just type it in. Don't ask, (laughs) just, just trust me, type it in exactly as you see it, Mm -hmm. see what happens and, and, and try to figure out what's going on. And it's really interesting, and I and they keep running up trying to get the right answer. And is it this? Is it this? Um, and it's just getting them to think. You know, I, I think before you said it before. Before we can code, we have to think. Right. So I just I think we just got to bring in that computational thinking and mash it together with the elements of programming, and and let them know that this happens regardless if you're coding in Python, coding in JavaScript, or doing a, you know, scientific, uh, scientific experiment. Right. And I I think what I've seen, you know, these, these students are all new to me. What I'm seeing is that they have a lot of things that need to be trained out of them. So our students are very well trained. I think this generally is true of most good students is that they're very well trained. Mm -hmm. They, they're looking for the right answer. They're always seeking the right answer. And one of the things that we have to do early on in our course is change that expectation that there's not necessarily a right answer Mm -hmm. or a right solution as much as there are many solutions and many ways of breaking down the problem. So we will go through and spend time working with them on, okay, how do you break down this problem? Where do you start? How do you even define the problem, right? How we challenge them on, is this even the right problem to solve? Yeah, and it sounds like a lot in the first week, but it really is. I was looking back at my presentation or my slideshow that I gave the kids in the first week of computer science, and we literally were doing wild true loops and turning on buttons and making images show. I think I I counted 30 lines of code in the first week. So we just jumped right in, right? And I think that goes into jumping right into using. Well, yeah, I I think that was that was one of the things that we saw early on with uh, with this was that we could spend half of our course just talking about theory, Mm -hmm. but the only way our students really get this is if we just jump right in and we give them something to do that's meaningful and interesting to them that they can accomplish, Mm -hmm. right? So it has to be attainable. It has to be meaningful, but if we do that, I, I had them writing code on the very first day, you know, simple hello world, but it worked yeah. and they could change it. So it said, you know, not just hello world, but hello your name. So for people who had, for these students who had never written a line of code before, they were coding from day one. And it wasn't just like, let's spend the next three days lecturing and having them tune out and think about all their other classes or, you know, what they're going to be doing after school. It was no, get your hands dirty. Yeah. Let's start writing code. And that started to build their confidence right away. It helps take them from that, I am not a coder, to I can write code. Yeah, and I think it's funny because whenever our principal walks through the class, he's always intrigued and interested in how kids are always doing something. It's more of we're the facilitators. And I think any good teacher realizes it's it's not about the sage on the stage. You have a wealth of knowledge and coding, but it's not about you telling them exactly everything that you, what's in your head. It's just getting their hands dirty and, and getting in and, and starting to code and work on stuff. Right. But I find really interesting. So you teach sixth and eighth mm-hmm. and I teach seventh grade. So I'm sort of in the middle. What are, what's the first thing that you do with your sixth graders? What's, what's the tool that you like to go to with your sixth graders? 
for my sixth graders, I usually like to gauge their their capabilities or their capacity for for this by using make code. Mm. So before we get into Python, I start off with make code and a micro bit. And it's really simple because we can just go to the page. We can start dragging blocks together and making programs and they can download it and run it. And for the most part, it's fairly simple. I'm still astounded by how many students have computers and don't necessarily know how to move files around. I think think the world is changing a bit, right? (laughs) In terms of files versus cloud, right? (laughs) But that works pretty well. And so within a short amount of time, they can get the micro bit working and they see something that they thought of working in their hands. Yeah. I I use the micro bit for seventh grade, but we we skip over make code. In fact, I'm afraid to show them make code because the things that you can do with the block code um, of JavaScript it's just astounding, and I know they, you, you guys had some really cool projects of some music and some flashing lights. But even so, coding in Python straight away in that, in that week with the micro bit and showing them that they can make cool patterns with a 5x5 five five grid and, and just the fact that they can push a button and make a giraffe versus a, you know, a, a meh. Emoji right. <laughs> is kind of, I don't know why they get excited. I mean, I, I mean, it's kind of cool, but they get really excited to see that happen. Yeah, I, well, there's certain there's a certain amount of seeing it in it's their choice. Mm-hmm. It's I did this, like I coded this so that when you press the button, the met emoji <laughs> appears. That was my choice. So as much as we can, we turn them loose. Mm-hmm. We let them practice. We let them play. It is really not about driving them through an exercise. It is about letting them run with it yeah and and what do you do for eighth grade so for eighth grade we're, we're straight into python right away mm-hmm. so it's on the first day because i want to get them in i don't want to spend all of our time installing editors i save that for later mm-hmm. i just go straight to the python web-based app mm-hmm. on on the microbit website and we write a little bit of python get the hello world going download it install it and we've got it working it's, it's really great so there's a couple other tools that we use Sometimes it, we get into the first week. Sometimes it's like week two. But there's a few other tools that are really helpful. So if you're a teacher out there who's wondering, what tools do I need? What things do my students need to get started? There's a couple that are really great. So let's start with the free tools first, okay? Moo. Moo. It's, a, it's amazing. It is the beginner developer environment. Yeah, I, I heard on Let's Talk or Talk Python to me about the development of Moo. What was literally designed... For, for teaching the kids, right? Right. I thought that was so interesting. Well, and I listened to the same podcast, and the developer was saying that he gets bug reports all the time, like, hey, can you add this feature, or can you add <laughs> yeah. this advanced thing, or whatever. And he says, no, because if you're asking for that, it's a sign that you're ready to move on to something else, right? So mu, codewith.mu, okay. is, the, is the website, is a fantastic free tool for learning how to code in Python. And you can hook up basic python 3 with it mm-hmm. you can connect it to a micro bit mm-hmm. to adafruit's you know line of circuit p- python boards and even run basic pi game pi game okay. zero is built into it yeah. so there's some really great tools there and it does all the code highlighting and, and things like that code completion but it is a very cleaned up simplified interface and once you outgrow it you'll know you'll be ready for something else the second application i always use is replit I like yep. Replit because we go into Turtle, Turtle Graphics, and I think, I think I did it in the first week on Friday. I just showed him a couple Turtle 
turtle functions and I said make some make some art switch this around give me some pretty pictures and the kids are just it's very intuitive so I use yeah. Replit a lot yeah Replit Replit's great and then I use that later on for coding assignments also mm. which has been great so you can start them with Replit as a beginning introductory tool again because it's web-based there's no installation which makes it very fast to set up and you can set up classrooms with a Replit education account so that works really really well next the next tool, we talked about the micro bit a little bit. Mm-hmm. We are we have invested heavily in micro bits. We have a classroom set. We use them almost on a daily basis. So the micro bit works really well for students. It's pretty durable. It's inexpensive. It's something that they can play with and they can use. So if you have the opportunity to get at least a couple of them to play with, I would definitely recommend it. They're only like 18 18- Eighteen dollars, I think yeah, they're fifteen, re- or, yeah. 15 or eighteen. They're relatively cheap. The one thing that I do have a not a negative thing about, but the new the new USB C's connections. Right. Uh, right. So that tends to be a, a little bit of a, a nuisance about that with them. But I mean, I like the microbit. I didn't like the microbit at first, just because I thought, you know, what am I going to do with this five by five grid of lights? And but the more I started playing with it, we can connect a lot of alligator clips and use the the touch pens and get into a little bit of servo motors. And it's a really good tool, right? It it works really well. And for my sixth graders, that's where the make code interface really shines. It is really that that web based interface that's block based makes it really easy for students to get started and get going with with code and once they get it onto their onto their microbit it start it just starts working just start it, it's the simplest way to make make things happen with a microbit microbit with still a fair amount of depth behind it with all the typescript backend for it yeah so just thinking about your one takeaway from the first week of a course now that you've done it twice right. <laughs> so if you could give one piece of advice on what to plan for, like the unexpected plan for in the first week, what would that be? You're never going to cover everything you want to. So have things ready, mm-hmm. you know, um, have things prepared, but you're never going to be able to get it all in. I mean, my excitement and my enthusiasm for this, I had so many things in that first week that I wanted to cover, and I got to maybe half of them. And it's really just because I'm excited about it. I want them to learn about it. But things take time. Installing software takes time. Helping the, helping the students figure out the download process to their microbit, how to flash code. That takes time. You're never going to cover as much as you want, but you'll be surprised at how much you are able to accomplish. Yeah, I think for me, the one thing that I always keep on the forefront is managing questions. I always want to give... I don't want the kids to get upset sometimes and I forget that the process is about having the questions so I try not to give the answers a lot and it's a it's a fine line between the struggle and the helping that I always have to manage in the first week is is how far can I push that child without giving them an answer you know answering a question with a question and knowing when to say when sending them back to their seat. Don't ask me that. <laughs> you can figure that out. How can you find that answer? That's always in my in my mind during the first week. Yeah. I think, and that really goes back to setting those expectations in the beginning. So setting the expectation that I am not going to answer every question that you have. You're going to be responsible for your own learning in this class because I don't have all the answers. That's right? great. So we have a new Twitter handle. Yeah. So we just set up Teaching Python 
as our Twitter handle. So, you know, feel free to follow us. We're going to be sharing tips, advice, things that we find, mostly like episode announcements and, and things, but it's our, our gateway. We're also working on our website for the podcast as well. So that'll be up shortly. Lots of great things coming. Before we sign off, Kelly, what's the coolest thing that you found in, in Python this week? Oh my gosh, the coolest thing. Well, I'm, I'm currently um, doing a lot of research in AI, machine learning, and deep learning. And it sounds really silly, but the coolest thing that I found, and I don't know if it's written in Python, so I might have to double check that, but is an add-on on, on Google, which is an AI peer editing Google Drive add-on. I'll find out more about that. But I just found it, and I thought it was really cool. <laughs> yeah, for, for me, it was discovering the Pandas package oh, this yes. week in Python. So so Kelly's been seeing me like get so excited in our classroom. I've been working a lot with data that we sensor data that we've collected with our eighth grade physics class. And one of the things that I wanted to do was be able to analyze that data quickly and to be able to filter out a lot of the irrelevant data mm-hmm. and get to just the stuff that really matters. When I discovered how easy it was to do that with pandas, I think you could hear me across the school, (laughs) like jumping up and down. So pandas has been amazing, and I can't wait to get in there and do more with it. That's great. Well, if you have any questions, hopefully we can tweet it out, and we hope to be hearing from you. This is Kelly. And this is Sean. Signing off.